Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Date Escape. I'm your host, Cassandra Ryder. Today's episode is sponsored by Backyard Books and Aged and Infused. I'm happy to have you back and ready to dive into the content we have all been waiting for, my very own personal bad date stories. I mean, it'd be kind of weird if I started this podcast without having any bad date experiences myself, so I think it's only fair if I'm going to ask you all to send in your bad date stories that I should share mine. If you're tuning into this podcast for the first time and are like, wait, what, like, what is going on here? Go ahead and listen to episode one first to know what to expect from this podcast. Also, I will acknowledge what everyone is thinking. The theme music is a bop. I know, and I agree. I know the theme music might be a little uh, confusing of a vibe for a podcast that's going to dive into some maybe more intense topics like assault, disappointment, embarrassment, violence, etc., And so this is my gentle plea for any musicians who want to work on composing better intro music with me to please reach out to me at thedatescapepodcast at gmail.com because the current intro music is the best your girl could do starting off this podcast on her own. The reason why I was so drawn to the theme music in the first place is that, I don't know, when I was listening to it, I just like imagined myself walking on a sidewalk in Chicago on a bright, sunny Sunday morning on my way to brunch with my best friends with yet another bad date story to tell them. Like I almost imagine myself like skipping down the street because I cannot wait to tell my best friends about another wildly unfortunate date. So maybe you relate to that feeling when you're listening to the music, but it's certainly how I am currently feeling as we settle into sharing my top three favorite bad date stories with you all. And who knows? I don't know. Maybe this podcast will help me remember other bad dates that I've been on that I've probably, you know, blocked out of my memory for the time being. But in the meantime, here are some personal encounters I have had with bad dates. Okay. Story number one. First of all, in my doctoral research, I have a special sweet spot for just bad dates in general, but especially bad first dates. Something about meeting someone once and then having it go all wrong, like a comedy of errors is endlessly delightful and intriguing to me. So my first story that I want to share with you all is one of those stories, a bad first date story. I lived in Chicago for eight years before moving to Arizona. And during my senior year of college, I found myself swiping on OkCupid, you know, as one does. OkCupid is a special, unique type of dating app. At least it was back when I used to use it. I don't know what it currently is like, but when I was using it, it was wild. First off, anyone could message anyone, anyone, no filters, anyone could message you. And the profiles of users were so long. I mean, there were so many questions to answer, which, you know, I personally loved, but it led itself to some wild dating profiles to read, which I also loved because of who I am as a person. Anyway, one night I was scrolling on OkCupid, as one does, when I came across someone who was getting his PhD. So naturally, as you know, I have my eyes on eventually getting a PhD one day in the future. I'm kind of, I'm kind of drawn to his profile. I'm intrigued. So we text back and forth for a few days and then made plans to meet up. Before we met up, there were no red flags. And this is something that I'm also interested in bad dates as well. Like what were the warning signs? Like looking back, knowing what we know now, you know, what, what could have been a clue? Cause sometimes there are a, a lot of clues and sometimes there are none. So for this instance, there were no red flags. I mean, our chemistry via texting was solid. His pictures were super cute. I was all sorts of excited to meet him. So <sighs> we planned our date during winter in Chicago, which is fine, but it wasn't just any winter in Chicago. Oh no. Oh no. We planned our date during the middle of a polar 
vortex. For those of you who may not be familiar with Chicago, it gets really cold in Chicago during winter, but during the polar vortex, it ranged from like negative 30 to negative 40 with wind chill. Like it was literally painful to be outside for a long amount of time. Like it was actually a health concern. People on the news were like, please stay inside. Like it is not okay to be outside because it is so cold. So he's like, let's meet at this bar. And I'm like, okay, cool. No problem. I can just walk there. Wrong. Big mistake. Because again, polar vortex. But you know, as a hopeless romantic, I'm like, what if this is my meet cute. You know, like what if this is how I meet my future partner? We met in the middle of a polar vortex. I made this brave and heroic journey to this bar walking in the middle of Chicago in winter. You know, it's like a mile to this bar, but I'm like, no problem. So I walked to this bar battling the strong winds and literally negative degree temperatures that literally posed a risk to my health, much like this bad date experience. So that sounds a little dramatic, but I get there and we hug hello. We do the usual Chicago thing of complaining about the weather and winter in general. We both order a beer and as we settle into our drinks, we start to get to know each other more. I share with him what I'm involved with in college, how I'm about to graduate soon, etc. Then I ask him about his studies and things get weird. So I tell him how I'm directing a theater show called The Vagina Monologues and he's like, oh, do you talk about tampons in the show? And I'm like, uh, well... I think we mentioned it once, but that's it. Why? <sighs> and then he proceeds to tell me a wild story about how tampons freak him out. He doesn't understand them and how one time his roommate asked him to bring her a tampon from their apartment since they were in doctoral classes together and how he was so nervous about breaking the tampon. Breaking the tampon. So he wrapped it up in tin foil. To clarify, the tampon is still in its packaging wrapped up in tin foil, then placed in a Ziploc baggie, then placed that Ziploc baggie in a brown paper bag and commuted to downtown Chicago on the train, holding the tip of this brown paper bag between the fingertips of his thumb and pointer finger, avoided having anyone touch it or having it bump into anything to ensure its safe delivery to his roommate. And at this point, it's clear to me that he didn't tell me the story to be funny because that was my initial reaction. I was like, oh, you know, haha, he just didn't know a lot about tampons and now he's learned. Um, I don't think that was the vibe. I think he was actually like talking about that story as if it was a stressful experience. And, and listen, I'm here for people to learn and grow in their understanding of new topics. You know, I'm a teacher. That's kind of like the whole, the whole thing of being a teacher. But I was like, okay, maybe he has grown since then. And he's like reflecting back. No, that is not the case. He continues after the story, he continues to go on and on about how weird tampons are. And looking as someone who has a strong, I had a strong feminist awakening during college, this sentiment was deeply troubling to me. It seemed to have some sexist connotations to it. So it's at this point where I finish my beer very quickly and begin to plan my escape. But before I can even escape, the bartender comes up to us and says, do you all want another round? And just like in the movies, at the same time I say no, he says yes, and he says he's going to order some food too. My stomach like drops into my butt. My mind just really wants me to walk out of this bar, leave him to eat his french fries alone in peace, but my Midwest manners are deeply ingrained into my DNA and I'm forced to sit there while he slowly, very slowly, sips another beer and eats his french fries. And I just sat there doing nothing, you know, just trying to find anything to talk about with him because this date was, that date was over about an hour ago. It was very painful. The date eventually ended and I have no recollection of reaching out to him again. But what I do remember 
is that painfully cold walk back to my apartment. And the whole time I was just thinking to myself that this date was so not worth it. Not worth my time, my energy, or the body heat I lost while walking home during a polar vortex. This episode is brought to you by Backyard Books, an independently owned bookstore that offers personalized subscriptions for any reader. You simply fill out a form indicating your interests and you'll receive a curated book delivered to your door each month. Backyard Books is offering listeners of the Date Escape podcast two months for free when you buy a one-year subscription. Use promo code BADDATE when you fill out the form on backyardbooksaz.com. Again, that's promo code BADDATE at backyardbooksaz.com. Do you love making cocktails at home? Do you love supporting small businesses? Well, then you got to check out Aged and Infused, friends. The Chicago local business crafts delicious, all-natural alcohol infusion kits that help you craft a better drink come happy hour or any hour. With locally sourced ingredients like oranges, cinnamon, cranberries, and cloves, these kits make a delicious addition to any home bar. Just add your favorite spirit, wait three days, and voila, happy hour is here. Visit agedandinfused.com to shop the full line, explore cocktail recipes, and more. Cheers, friends. My second bad date story is just kind of your standard bad date story where you think you're going to have a great connection with this person and then you realize this couldn't be farther from the truth. But how I met this person was kind of fun, so let me set the scene for you. If you're from Chicago, you have probably heard of Tea Box, or also known as the 12 Bars of Christmas. It's this all-day bar crawl, which is its first mistake, an all-day bar crawl. Okay, so it's an all-day bar crawl on a Saturday in December, primarily in Wrigleyville, so right near the Cubs Stadium, which like, again, right off the bat, not my vibe. So not my vibe. I mean, bro bars and baseball, it's just, it's just not it for me. But I had my sorority sister visiting Chicago after she had moved away during college, and so we got together with a group of people and really went to town for Tea Box. We all were wearing Christmas-themed onesies, we went out to brunch beforehand, pre-gamed pretty hard, and then set out into the bleak Chicago winter weather to wait in the long lines to gain access to one of the 12 bars of Christmas. Tea Box is a full sensory experience. So in your line of vision constantly is just the streets being packed with people who are drunk and dressed as Santa or elves or sexy Mrs. Claus. And then, you know, as you're scanning the crowd, you can tell which people have commuted into the city from the suburbs because they're usually the ones who are stumbling by 10 a.m. Listen, I've been there. It's typically the people from the suburbs who just go real hard, real fast. And then you're constantly hearing the subtle bass beats of club music outside each bar in combination with the ever-present sound of girls screaming or bros yelling because, you know, it's Wrigleyville. And every bar you go into has that classic bar smell of old beer, cheap liquor, and literally everything you touch is sticky. The bar, the tables, the chairs, your shoes are sticking to the floor, and the bathroom, you know, it, we can just use our imagination with that one. And of course, everything tastes like a huge ripoff. Overpriced drinks with cheap liquor, just some classic college shenanigans. As a side note, to kind of show you how lawless Tea Box really is, during this event, a drunk girl actually came up to me and was convinced that I was Mila Kunis, which like is a big stretch to begin with, but like back then I had this long hair and for some reason I looked like Mila Kunis to her. And so I kept telling her, I'm not Mila, I'm Cassandra. And then she kept insisting for my autograph. And so I literally signed a napkin with my name on it. Not Mila's name, my name. And then I gave it to her and she was so happy and she stumbled away. Anything goes at T-Box. It is 
flawless. So now that I've adequately set the scene for you, let's just say that I was ready to meet someone. As a hopeless romantic, I was thinking to myself that meeting someone at T-Box would just be the most wild origin story for a relationship. So I'm at this bar and I'm sitting alongside a wall of windows that looks onto Clark Street. And on the other side of the windows is a line of people waiting to gain entry into this bar. All of a sudden, I make eye contact with this really cute guy. We smile, kind of give each other the, you know, the once over, make some flirty eyes. And then he pantomimes the motion for like a cell phone. And I mouth back to him, you know, do you want my number? He smiles and he nods. And so through the window, I hold up my hands and give him my digits, you know, as one does. So I'm like, okay, awesome. I gave this guy my number. This is going to be the cutest meat cute of all meat cutes. So we part ways. He, I don't know, maybe goes off to another bar, but I don't see him anymore outside. I keep obsessively checking my phone to see if I get a text from him, but I never do. So again, as a reminder, we have been drinking since like 7 a.m. It's now probably like 3 p.m., 4 p.m. So we crash in the afternoon for a nap. I wake up from the nap around 7 p.m., 8 p.m. and I have a text from the guy from the window. He says that he got into another bar, but he couldn't find me and he wanted to know where we were going out tonight. Because again, remember, T-Box is an all day bar crawl, all day, all night. So the group I was with collectively decided that we were exhausted from day drinking and we were going to have a relaxing warm night away from the tea box chaos. But then, so I keep texting with this guy and he invites me out for a date, which I thought was so cute and I am pumped. So the next weekend we make plans to grab tacos and margaritas from a place near my apartment. I'm like really anxious leading up to this date because I'm worried he isn't going to be as attracted to me when we're both sober. And when I see him again, I mean, He's a little less cute than I remember him, but still cute and intriguing. A little on the bro-y side, but you know, I'm sitting there trying to keep my mind open. We sit down and laugh about how funny it was, how we met. We exchange, you know, our respective stories from our tea box shenanigans, order some drinks and tacos, and start to get to know each other. And this is where my fantasy of having a relationship with a unique meet cute storyline starts to fall apart. At this point, I'm a senior in college and he has been out of college for a few years. So I tell him about the 15 extracurricular activities I'm involved in. And then I throw the conversation back to him and say, so what were you involved during college? And he literally goes, I just drank and partied. Which like, listen, same, but also I was running about eight different organizations at the same time. You know, gotta work hard, play hard. Well, he just played hard and wasn't ashamed to tell me that. So I'm like, okay, for me, this is a red flag. This is red flag number one. We had opposite vibes in how we spent our time in college. So I tell him about my jobs, trying to find something that maybe we can connect with. And then I ask him about his job and he just complains about how he sells medical equipment and it's super boring. And I'm like, okay, it's kind of a turnoff. He doesn't have a job that he loves or is passionate about or even mildly enjoys because that's something that's really important to me. So for me, that's red flag number two. And at this point, I'm beginning to panic. Like it's taking a long time to find some common ground with this dude. Like usually it's not this hard for me to have a conversation with someone, but finally, finally we find some common ground over our shared love of skydiving, which was super random, but Hey, it was one of the only things we had going for us. See, he was actually in the process of getting certified for solo skydiving. And yeah, that was the only thing we have in common. The only thing we had in common which is my short way of saying that this date was just, just not doing it for me. No fireworks, no fanfare. And it wasn't even like an explicitly disastrous date. It was just a little bit of strained conversation and forced interest in someone who I truly had nothing with. And there's a lot of research that supports why I labeled this first date as a bad first date, because I had such little in common with this guy. 
So humans naturally have a preference for being around people who are more similar than different from us. Uh, A fancier academic way of saying this is that humans have a natural tendency to engage in homophily, or seeking out others who are similar to us. And when we find people who we are similar with, it's extremely rewarding because there's a higher likelihood that the way we see the world is similar to how they see the world, which reinforces and strengthens our own personal viewpoints and perspective of the world which is called the reinforcement model. It makes us feel more justified that our way of seeing the world is correct because we have found other people who support this as well. Research also shows that when we perceive someone to be similar to us, we will then view this person as more trustworthy, which is definitely helpful on a first date with someone. But alas, this first date I'm describing was the exact opposite of the research. And again, I labeled this date as a bad experience because... It was disappointing. I mean, we just didn't have that much in common. Maybe my I came in with too high of expectations, but over our conversation, I didn't see him as trustworthy, and it honestly made him appear less attractive to me as well. So the date ended by him walking me back to my apartment. We had a nice, you know, platonic hug, and then we just never said a word to each other ever again. Ugh, it just, you know, I love a good mutual ghosting. It's truly ideal. It's just a nice Midwestern passive-aggressive way of letting the other down easy. Ghosting as a form of ending a date is one of the date exit strategies or date escapes that I'm especially fascinated by. So if you have any experiences with ghosting or bad dates, please remember to send in your stories to thedateescapepodcast at gmail.com. That's thedateescapepodcast at gmail.com. All right, we're two for three, so let's go into our final story, my own personal bad date story. So my last bad date story is one from my young and naive high school days. And this bad date story is fun because it actually takes place within an established romantic relationship. So normally I think, you know, when we think of bad dates, they occur with people who we've only known for a little bit, you know, maybe a few weeks, maybe a month. But, you know, sometimes bad dates happen in long-term relationships, in marriage sometimes as well. So this person and I had been dating for a few months which I think in and of itself kind of brings an extra level of unique cringe to this story. So in high school, I had this boyfriend who played the guitar and could sing, which was like, you know, so hot. And from one of our dates, he took me to this local park on a nice spring day. We found a park bench and he began to play his guitar and serenade me with love songs. At first, it was really cute. You know, there would be people running or walking by and they would see us and smile as they probably thought we were the epitome of young love. And we were, until we weren't. During my solo but also very public concert from my boyfriend, all of a sudden, he switched from the romance songs to a semi-screamo song and started playing his guitar really loud and started to scream, shout, sing, you know, swear the lyrics of the chorus of the song that, you know, at this point, I cannot remember the song, but I just remember being mortified. I just felt hot everywhere and not in a good way, but in like a, oh my God, get me out of here type of way. So like people were now walking by us and like giving us dirty looks, menacing glares, like, you know, leading their children away from us in the park and just overall we're getting looks of pure confusion. And I tried very subtly to signal to my boyfriend to, um, you know, uh, please stop. I, I do not know what you're doing and I also do not like it. So overall, just so embarrassing. And this date has now lost every ounce of romanticism that it began with. He was just like in his own little world, living his rock star fantasy. I don't know how the screaming, singing stopped, but it eventually did. And I mustered up the best. That was great, honey. Thank you so much. Let's go. We need, we need to go. 
it should come as no surprise that after that bad date, that relationship did not last that much longer, if my memory serves me correct. And also that was due to a lot of varying factors, but this bad date certainly did not help the impending doom of our relationship. This bad date story really helps highlight one of my favorite relational communication theories, which I believe provides an expert framework for understanding just bad dates in general. The theory is called Expectancy Violations Theory, or EVT. This theory was developed by the one and only researcher, Dr. Judy Burgoon, who was one of my academic idols. The theory, in its most simplest form, states that we hold expectations for people's behaviors in various events and situations. And our expectations are violated when someone does something that diverges or differentiates from our expectation. So the reason I labeled that last bad date story as bad was because I expected my boyfriend to sing sweet and soft romantic songs to me in the park. And by yelling screamo music with lyrics that were not rated PG or PG-13, he violated my expectations for the date in a negative way, which led me to labeling the date as bad. Now, people can violate our expectations in good ways. Like say my boyfriend took me to the park, began playing guitar and serenading me, and then a flash mob of my family and friends emerged out of the bushes into a choreographed dance to my favorite song of all time, which back in high school was probably a song by Yellow Card, which is a great band. Please do not fight me on this one. <laughs> but anyway, the point being that this potential behavior, had it happened, would have far exceeded my expectations and it would have led me to label the experience as an overtly positive one according to the theory. So determining whether the violation of our expectations is either positive, negative, major, or minor is what's called a violation valence. And it gets even more complex when we add in partner rewardingness to the equation. Basically, we assign a certain level of reward to the person who has violated our expectations. And this level of reward that we subconsciously assign can help influence our violation valence. What I mean by this is that stereotypically attractive people or pretty people in our society in the United States will always get away with more stuff or more crap than others whose appearances do not conform to the stereotypical standards of beauty, which is, you know, someone who is thin, white, middle to upper class, heterosexual, etc. You know the type. Just think about everyone who's like adjacent to Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds and, you know, we're beginning to get the gist of this. Anyway, this theory tells us that people who are more socially attractive, you know, maybe someone who has a lot of friends, someone who's physically attractive, financially rich, and the ability to provide relational resources are rated as overall more rewarding. And therefore, those folks can get away with more negative expectation violations than people who are less rewarding, you know, for one of those reasons stated before. Basically, the date with my boyfriend did not go according to plan, and it ended with me being embarrassed and disappointed and a little weirded out by him. And I labeled it as a bad date, but we kept dating for a little bit afterwards. We didn't break up for a few more months. Why? Because he was physically attractive. He was socially attractive because we shared a lot of mutual friends. He didn't have a lot of money, but he did live in the basement of his parents' home, which led itself to providing a space to receive relational resources if you know what I mean. <laughs> anyway, this is my long way of saying that I love this theory, expectancy violations theory, and I think that it provides an excellent framework for helping us understand why we are able to walk away from certain dates thinking to ourselves, oh wow, that went really well, or oh my god, I am literally never doing that ever again. Well, friends, that's all I have for you today. I hope you enjoyed listening to some of my unfortunate bad date stories and how academic research and theory can help us make sense of these moments that might make us cringe for the rest of eternity. If listening to these stories has jogged your memory and now you have your own personal bad date stories flooding back to you and you would like them to be analyzed on the show, please email them to me at thedateescapepodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's thedateescapepodcast at gmail.com. 
Before you send in your bad date stories, just be sure to change names and locations in your story if you prefer. And also, I want to clarify something that I said on the first episode of this podcast. I will not reveal your name, you know, the name that you sign your email with on the podcast unless you tell me specifically that I can. If you do not specifically tell me that, yes, you can say my name, you know, my first name on the podcast, I will just identify you with either the first letter of your first name or the first letter of your email address. I know some people from my first episode were like, do not say my email address on the podcast. And like, I would never, <laughs> I, I would literally never. So I want to clarify that right now. So again, if you do not say yes, Cassandra, please say my first name. I will just refer to you as the first letter of your first name or the first letter of your email address. You know, I just want to make sure that I'm protecting everyone's privacy because these stories might be a little bit embarrassing for folks to tell and they might bring up trauma that people don't want, you know, being able to be traced back to them or aired out on a public podcast show. So I get it. I want to, I want to protect you all. If you want some ideas of what details about bad date stories fascinate me the most, you can head to our website at thedateescape.com. That's thedateescape.com. I also invite everyone to please ask your friends and family members to share their bad date stories with me as well. And if you have a moment, I would greatly appreciate you rating and reviewing this show on whatever platform you are listening on. It would make my heart feel all warm and fuzzy for you to show your support for the show in this way. And as always, thank you so much for your time and for listening to today's episode. I wish you all lots of satisfying and fulfilling dates where all of your expectations are exceeded in the best way possible. But if you do find yourself on a bad date, be sure to look for the exit signs in case you need to make the date escape. Thanks everyone. 